0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come today and we are in the midst of this series celebrating the Reformation, Lord, we celebrate the Reformation not because of what men did, but because, Lord, we recognize your presence in that, your movement, your spirit moving changing things, bringing light to your Word. And so, Father, we thank you for those times in history where your Spirit shows up and and you are greatly revealed. So, Lord, as we take pause at this time, remembering the Reformation, Lord, let us not remember it just because it was the Reformation, but let us remember it because of your work and because of what you taught us, what you reminded us of through that movement. The Lord, today as we look at sola scriptura, or teach us, Teach us the authority of your word by the authority of your word. And let us be obedient to it. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to 2 Timothy, chapter 3, 2 Timothy, chapter 3. Today we'll be looking at verses 10 through 17, 2 Timothy, chapter 3. Verses 10 through 17, just to kind of give you a little background here. Paul, this is Paul's final letter. He is imprisoned in Rome, and he is looking at his death. It is, his death is imminent. He is looking at, uh, at execution at the hands of the Roman emperor, and he writes this letter, this final letter, to his disciple, Timothy, in chapter 3, before this, he begins and he describes the ungodly in the world. Let me just read a portion of that, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will be times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unheartless, unappeasable. Slanderous, without self control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Timothy, avoid such people. And so that is the backdrop to our passage which we'll be looking at today. So if you found your place there in 2 Timothy, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. You, however, follow my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire a godly life, to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have. equipped for every good work amen may the lord add blessings to the reading of his holy inspired and inerrant word and may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts and you may be seated well last week we we began our study celebrating the reformation uh, with that declaration that we are protestant we ought to be protestant protestant for what is good and right, according to the word and the will of God. And so as we begin then to to get more into our study, uh, as we think about the Reformation, we began to look at the five solas of the Reformation. You see, during the Reformation, as it went along, uh, there were five hallmarks of the Reformation that that we can kind of see, especially now looking back, that all the Re- reformers really, really dwelt on. They really preached and proclaimed. Now, they, they, uh, they protested many things, but these hallmarks, these five doctrines, come out uh, pretty clearly as you begin to study them. And they have become known as the five solas. Now, sola is a Latin term for only. And so as we begin to go through these, just remember when you see sola, that means only. Today we look at the first one, sola scriptura, which means scripture alone, scripture alone. And so this, this sola, it deals with the issue of authority, The issue of authority. The Roman church, they understood authority uh, as a a trifold structure. They believed that what held authority over the church, over life, was one, Scripture, two, tradition, and three, the magisterium, or the pope, and all the councils. And so they held all of these three together as authoritative. The Reformers said no. But there is one authority over life and over the church. And that authority is Scripture alone. They believe that Scripture alone is the Word of God And is therefore the only infallible rule for life and doctrine. Say that again, because we say this with the Reformers Scripture alone is the Word of God, and is therefore the only infallible rule for life and doctrine. So I want us to see that from the text today as the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy. And so as we look at this verse, the first thing that we see here is that central doctrine that that drives everything else that Paul is is telling Timothy here in the text, in this this paragraph. And is that in verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That first word there, that first little, uh, the first little phrase, all Scripture is breathed out by God. In fact, we see in this text that Scripture is the inspired and infallible Word of God. Scripture is the inspired and infallible Word of God. Well, we see that, first of all, in that phrase, all Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Now, that term, breathed out by God, in the Greek is actually one word. And it's actually one word that is made up of two other words, that Paul has crammed together to get his point across. He didn't have, apparently he didn't have a a word for inspired. And so the best way that he could explain it was to put these two words together. It begins with God breathed. And so Paul takes these words, God, and the word for breathe, and he crams them together. And he says, all Scripture all of the sacred writings is God-breathed. It is breathed out by God. Now, what does it mean that it's breathed out by God? We, we know in Scripture, we see that. There are many human authors of Scripture. Paul is, the, for instance, the author of this book. But in the New Testament, we also have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Uh, we have... Peter, Jude, and James, all of them are human authors in the New Testament, and in, then in the Old Testament, there's Moses and Isaiah and, and many, many others. There are many human authors, but Paul says all of that Scripture, all of the books of the Bible are God-breathed. That is, they are inspired by God. And so it was that as the writers, the human writers of Scripture, sat down to write these letters, these books of the Bible, they sat down and they were moved by the Spirit of God so that every word that we have recorded by these human authors is indeed the very Word of God. It still retains the the personality, personalities of the human authors. you You can kind of discern a difference between the writings of Peter and the writings of Paul, for instance. He uses their vocabulary, their way of putting sentences together. It's not as though God dictates the very words although there are places in, in the Bible where God dictates. For instance, in the, with the Old Testament prophets, he says, write this down, thus saith the Lord. And in those cases, it is more of a dictation style. But in the rest of Scripture, it's not so much a dictation where God is saying, okay, Peter, okay, Paul, write this. But what Paul is saying is that it's breathed out by God. It is God-breathed. So that as the Scripture writers sit down to write, as in this case Paul writing this letter to Timothy, he was being moved along by the Holy Spirit to write exactly what he wrote so that what we have in this book is the very Word of God. Peter talks about it like this, he explains it like this. 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 21. Peter says, "For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of God, or excuse me, by the will of man. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." And so it is that as the human Authors sit down to write these letters in the books that we have, the poems in the Psalms. As they sit down to write, they are being moved. They are being carried along by the Holy Spirit. So that what they write, not their will, not what they desire, but they spoke from God. But what we have in God's Word is the very Word of God. What Paul writes is not just Paul writing, it is the Word of God. So Scripture is inspired by God, therefore, we can say that it is also infallible. It is infallible. Now you hear me week after week, and you just heard me a while ago, Scripture is holy, inspired, and inerrant. And so, we've covered inspired, but it is inerrant because it's infallible. What's the difference between those two terms? Inerrant means that Holy Scripture is without error. It has no error. It is God's Word. We believe that Scripture is without error. It is inerrant, but it is inerrant because it is infallible. Infallible means it's incapable of error. It's incapable of error. And why is Scripture incapable of error? Because its author is God, who Himself is infallible. It must be the case. It absolutely must be the case. God, who is all-sovereign God, who does not err. There's no falsehood in Him. There's no error in Him. If, it is in his, if this is His inspired Word, then it must be incapable of error in the truths that it proclaims. Therefore, we hold to that doctrine that God's Word is inspired and it is infallible, inherent in every way because God is without error Himself. Jesus claims this truth. John chapter 17, verse 17. Jesus, praying for His disciples, says, Father, sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. God's Word is truth because God is true. And he speaks nothing but truth there's a further implication that we see here. That is the divine authority of God's Word. If this Word is inspired by God, if it's infallible because God is infallible, then that means this Word holds sovereign authority over us. To obey this Word is to obey God. And to disobey this Word is to disobey God. And so we as a church, we sit under this book as this book is the very Word of God. That's why we have here a pulpit. Not just a lectern. Not just a little music stand we have a pulpit which stands which exemplifies or or stands for a throne it's a throne here in the middle of this church And here upon the throne sits God's Word and authority over His church. All of these other thrones are to the side, but the Word of God is in the center on the throne of God, swaying authority over the people of God. And I, as your preacher, stand behind the Word, not in front of it, not on top of it, but behind it, saying, Thus saith the Lord. Because we bow to the authority of God's Word alone. Because we bow to the authority of God alone. Scripture is the inspired and infallible Word of God. Therefore, we say Scripture alone holds authority over life and doctrine. So we stand on the doctrine of Scripture alone because Scripture is the inspired and infallible Word of God. Second, we stand on the doctrine of Scripture alone because Scripture is sufficient to make one wise for salvation. Scripture is sufficient to make one wise for salvation. Going back up in what Paul says to Timothy there, but as for you, verse 14... As for you, young Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. That, by the way, is Timothy's grandmother and mother. You can go back to verse 1, chapter 5, and see that. They taught Timothy the sacred writings, knowing from whom you learned it, And how, from a child, how from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, Scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. You see, Scripture, Scripture is sufficient. It is sufficient to make one wise for salvation. That is, in God's Word, we find how to be saved. (laughs) In Scripture, we teach, God teaches us His law. He teaches us His law. In fact, this is one of the the things that, that Luther believed and he preached consistently that we can divide Scripture up into two parts. Not just Old Testament and New Testament, but you can divide it up into the law and grace. Law and grace. And he said you've got to teach both. You've got to teach both law and grace. Because you see, it's in the law of God that we learn about sin. We learn that we have offended God. We learn that we are without hope because we have rebelled against a sovereign God. Scripture teaches us our sin. It reveals to us our sin. How can we know that we have sin had God not told us? Had God not say, you shall have no other gods before me? You shall not covet. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not bear false witness. How are we to know That was sin. God not said, Thus saith the Lord. It reveals to us our sin. Paul makes this point in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet. The law had not said, You shall not covet. We must have Holy Scripture to teach us our sin, to teach us our inability to please God through our corrupted works. But if it only pointed us to our sin, we would be (laughs) poorly lost. We would be in absolute depression. Why would we even want to look at god's word if it all if it did was show us our sin but god's word also points us to god's grace it points us to his savior that's why paul says there continue in what you have learned And have been acquainted with, uh, as you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. You see, as it uncovers our sin, it also points us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. How would we know about what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross had Peter and Paul and James and John and all the writers of the New Testament not testified to the fact that He did it. If they had not recorded it for us, how would we know? We wouldn't. God has given us His Holy Word to point us to Jesus. To take us to the cross of Jesus Christ. To show us that despite our sin and our guilt, despite what we deserve for our rebellion against God, God sent His Son Jesus into the world to keep the law, to die on the cross, in our place, so that we might have salvation in Him. Indeed, Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse about uh, verse 39, he tells the Pharisees, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Oh friend, we need God's Word because it is sufficient to make us wise for salvation. Do We stand on the doctrine of Scripture alone because God's Word is inspired and infallible. Because Scripture is, inspired and is the inspired and infallible Word of God, Scripture is sufficient to make one wise for salvation. Third, we stand on the doctrine of Scripture alone, because Scripture is profitable for sanctifying the saints. Scripture is profitable for sanctifying the saints. It is profitable, in other words, for sanctification, for making us like Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God, Paul says, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. How are we to know, even as followers of Christ, we know that God, He made us new, He made us a new creation in Christ Jesus as we come to Christ Jesus He makes us a new creation so that we may become like Jesus, that we may live a godly life in Jesus, that we may live a righteous life before God. No, not to perfection, but God is working in us. His Spirit is working in us to to make us like Jesus. But how are we to know what that looks like? How are we to know, as He calls us to strive along with the Spirit, how are we to know what that looks like? Are we to look to our feelings? What we feel like God would want us to do? Oh no. Because our feelings are corrupted. Our intuition can tell us nothing about what pleases God because our intuition only wants what pleases ourselves. Our tuition is corrupted. Are we to look to others to see how to live godly, righteous lives before God? No, because all of our friends and our neighbors are corrupt as well. We want to know how to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. We must look to the Word of God. We must look to the Word of God. God's Word alone teaches us how to be like Christ. As the Holy Spirit works in us, He works through the Word of God coming into us through our minds. And so we must depend upon the very Word of God to teach us. Indeed, Paul says there, it is profitable for teaching and for pr- reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. Indeed, you can, you can divide these four terms up into to two different sections here, two, uh, two groups. The first there is for teaching and for reproof that is dealing with beliefs dealing with beliefs what we believe what our mind tells us is right it teaches us truth and it reproves error it teaches us the truth of God's Word and it reproves the evil thoughts the sinful fleshly thoughts that are in our minds so it deals with beliefs and the second part there correction and for training in righteousness deals with action. It deals with action. It corrects unrighteous activities that we conduct ourselves and we participate in. And it trains us in righteousness, teaches us how to act right before God. And all of that is for that purpose that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work, that he may live a godly life in Christ Jesus. So we must depend upon Scripture. A Scripture profitable for sanctifying the saints, for making us like Jesus. All Scripture is the inspired and infallible Word of God and is sufficient to make one wise for salvation and profitable for sanctifying the saints. Therefore, we must stand with the Reformers on the doctrine of sola scriptura. Scripture alone is the infallible rule for life and doctrine. Life and doctrine. Not just for the church life, but for all of life. For all of life. Four years after Luther penned his 95 theses on the wall, or on the, excuse me, on the door at the church at Wittenberg, after he was excommunicated from the church, he was summoned to the Diet of Worms. The diet of worms, and if you ever look at that, it's not the diet of worms. All right, it's the diet of worms. W is a pronounced V in in German. It's the diet of worms. He was summoned there to stand before the Roman Emperor to answer for crimes against the church, and so Luther, against many of his friends' advice, he went. To this Diet of Worms, knowing that he could be executed there for what he had been teaching, what he had been preaching. But he went because he thought, at least I get to argue my case. At least I get to speak before the emperor. And who knows? Who knows? Maybe the emperor will be persuaded. And so he went to the Diet of Worms in hopes. Of swaying the emperor by speaking truth. As he walked into the court ready to plead his case, he saw there in the room a table filled with all of his books and his pamphlets that he had written. All that, all the books and pamphlets that he had written, believing that they, believing that they. In accordance to the will of God. And he was asked, as he stood before the emperor, he was asked two questions Martin Luther, are these your writings? Yes, yes, they are my writings. Do you recant? No opportunity to plead his case. No opportunity to debate. Just do you refute these words? Do you refute them? Luther, taking this into consideration, he was perplexed. Now, he didn't believe his books, his writings were the Word of God, but he had quoted God's Word throughout his writings, and he believed that he was communicating what God's Word says. And so as he stood there before the emperor, he didn't know what to say, and so he said, could I have a night pray about this? His life was in the balance here. So they gave him the night, and Luther went, and he went to his room, and he stayed on his knees all night praying to God. The next day, as he walked into the courtroom, as he stood before the emperor, Luther, are these your books? Yes, they are. Do you recant? Luther looked at the court, he looked at the emperor, and he said these words, Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the Scriptures, or by clear reason, for I do not trust either the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the Scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. May God help me. Amen. Today, we stand with Luther on the authority of Scripture alone. In an age when there's a call to the church to compromise and accommodate the sins of this world. Such sins that God calls as an abomination. As the world calls us to to. Compromise and accommodate, we stand on the authority of God's Word alone. In an age when Scripture is despised and rejected. In an age where we could very well see the ban of Scripture. Because it stands against a secular world view, we stand with Luther on the authority of Scripture alone. We bow to no authority, but the authority of God. He is given to us through His Word. Scripture alone is the Word of God and is therefore the only infallible rule for life and doctrine. Sola Scriptura. We embrace it. We live by it. We must understand what this means. This means that we cannot live under our own authority. We cannot live by what we think is right, but we must come under God's Word ourselves and conform our lives to it and proclaim to the the world that we live by Scripture alone. Oh, Father God, we understand today we... We know our shortcomings. And Lord, it is difficult even for, for us as regenerate children of God. Lord, it is still hard for us sometimes to, to bow before the authority of Your Word. And how often we fail to obey your precepts. But I pray, O oh God, that you would give us power through the power of your Spirit. Lord, make us obedient. We cannot be obedient unless you make us obedient through your Spirit. O oh Lord, may we proclaim that central doctrine to the Christian faiths. Scripture alone. Having authority over our life in every avenue, in every aspect. Always pointing people to your glory and your name. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.